0: Graphic Nature acknowledges the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we record the show and pay our respects to the elders past, present and future and extend that respect to other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening to this podcast. Due to the graphic nature of this program, listener discretion is advised. Fighting for what's right, for justice, that's what a hero does it is my opinion without any reasonable doubt and without any reservation that comic books are an important contributing factor in many cases of juvenile delinquency comic books are pure evil satan himself condemns our children to the fiery depths of hell how a particular tale can come to life in the mind of a reader is endlessly fascinating to me We have found that all comic books have a very bad effect on teaching the youngest children the proper reading techniques. This balloon print pattern prevents them. I am not a villain. I am a victim. A victim of a society that tortured me. Vengeance. Will it be, mine? Will it be mine? Welcome to mine? Graphic Nature, a fortnightly mine? podcast exploring the inspiring world of comic books, the culture that supports it, the creators, publishers and people behind the printed pages and digital screens pushing the medium on into the future in Australia and the world. I'm Zoran Ilyevsky. On this episode, we're joined by Kieran Jack, storyteller, creator and publisher at Halftone Productions. Hey Zoran, thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> You're very welcome, mate. Thanks for coming on. Uh, it's, it's a trying time here in in Victoria, in Australia. How is Half Tone Productions dealing with uh, this current situation? Yeah,
1: it's it's been it's been a learning curve for um, for us here. I mean, you know, we had uh, well, I'm fortunate enough to have two conventions at the start of the year during the bushfire season. Um, so I was lucky to get down to Melbourne twice. So we had Supernova and we had um, uh, what was the zine Festival at the start? I'm having a mental oh, Festival blank. Festival of Photocopy. That's it. Um. So we we're fortunate enough to get to two two of those shows. Um. So that was great to be able to kick off the year. And like honestly, I didn't realize this was going to happen. And it's been it's been a blessing in disguise. I've kind of been going back to the drawing board and figuring out how this all works around the world we're living in. So how did how did, has, how,
0: did to, how did you go with the conventions?
1: Um. Melbourne, we killed it. It was. Um, freaking amazing for us. Another great year. They're always great, the Melbourne shows. It's a local fan base for us that really draws in that crowd. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've kind of established that over the past four years. So we have a lot of people who have been picking up the artwork and the comics. They come back, which is always great. Uh, and also we get we gain new um, readers and people who enjoy the art.
0: And this is, so this um, is Supernova, right? That, this was the, the, the larger, the more commercial...
1: Yeah, yeah. So right. supernova Melbourne, um, twenty twenty. So that was the that was the second one. The first one was the photocopy of Zine, which I it was very different. Um, Zine comics, obviously, they're a different um, breed mm-hmm. of readers, and they they you know they're a more personalised, um, I guess, than what a traditional. Um, standard westernized comic is. yeah had you had you, so, been, had you
0: been to festival of the photocopier before
1: no i hadn't been to that one right. i'd been to home home, home, home cooked? cooked yep home cooked yep so i had been to home cooked three times now and always great time um you know we we reach a new audience around that area which is really good that you probably wouldn't see at the biggest conventions mm-hmm. Um, which I always really do enjoy talk because I get a bit more of a personal um, chance to talk to those people about you know what the comics are rather than the big ones where the big ones you kind of are rushed to make that sale quickly because people are moving a lot more fast than they would be at the smaller ones. Yeah, smaller right.
0: Shows.
1: It was... so, yeah, it was an opener. Uh, I didn't do great at that show. And I'm always the first to admit when a show is not great for us, it just wasn't the market. Unfortunately, it was a different scene, and I actually had a couple of um punters come up to me and said, "Your comic books are beautifully presented, but they're over they're overproduced for what this kind of market
0: is." Yeah, so it's it's actually... it's a fairly niche kind of uh, kind of festival, and uh, predominantly. DIY kind of stuff is presented there. Uh, there are from time to time I've seen I've seen you know um, better produced work you know much mm. like yourself um, mm. much like your your products um, and your comics but uh, but generally there you're going to see people who have literally put stuff together with a photocopier.
1: Yeah and the funny thing was I did a Zine comic in the lead up to it because I thought, okay, well, this is this is a different mark and I knew I was going into a different approach. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to make a 12-page zine comic and I'm going to pump it out in five days leading up to it. So I literally drew all the pages up, lettered it, edited it, got it to print. Um, I took it to print and that was probably too too classy in production for the sake of printing it um, how I did and I didn't sell any of them. Yeah, the right. <laughs> so wow. I was quite like they're like oh okay. So even even my zines are are too high a production quality for the market here. So which is fine. You you can't you can't win them all. Um and I took a risk doing this one. It's a, it was a free show. All I was paying for was my fuel. Um I look, I sold I think I sold 5 or 6 comics for the day. So I mean, that was basically my fuel. As long as you broke even. Exactly. And I mean, like, I got to see a couple of people that um, I'm friends with outside of the convention circuit. I saw some people that do the convention circuits as well, which was great to catch up with them.
0: Um, it's It was just a learning curve. Yeah. and yeah. It is actually a really great festival. And it gets, you know, it's, it's just another opportunity as far as I'm concerned to see what other people are doing, what other kinds of, of, of books are getting done and made by, by people in their bedrooms. Exactly, yeah.
1: and it, look, it was a great festival. I, I actually just I walked away from the table for a bit um and just walked around and said hello to people. did and you spend any
0: money? I did.
1: <laughs> I can't help myself. I always pick up a couple of a couple of uh, comics at every show, but yeah, I,
0: I, I only asked that because I figured that you would have walked away spending more money than you would have made
1: and i do that every show it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what i'll always walk away from the table and go and spend it on indie comics and zine i just i can't help myself i always enjoy going around and meeting the creators and because that was me before i started making comics do you I ever was that
0: person. with all that in mind does does it ever occur to you that like particularly in, in this type of situation where you're there trying to sell your wares but you walk mm. around and go oh yeah that looks pretty cool. That looks pretty cool. Do you ever put your like publisher brain on and go? I wonder if I can uh, talk to this cat and maybe get some work done through through halftime um, productions.
1: So previously, I've done that, um, and I I, I like to do it, but some I felt the audience there was they're very independent and they're very. Um, they're very niche to what they they want to do. So I don't push people anymore. What I'll do is I will approach people and on a friendly basis and get to know them and talk to them and through social media outlets make that connection. And then especially with what I've been doing over the last year and doing a lot more collaborations is that with that relationship that I've been able to build with them through social media connections, I'm able to approach them and say, hey, listen, this is what I'm doing. Would you be interested in partaking in this um, this collaboration project? And in most cases, people say yes. Um, there's been a couple of times where people have said no, but yeah, it's 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 a bit of a different it's it's a bit different. Um, I've had people approach me and sometimes it just doesn't fit where I'm taking um, the the business. So mm-hmm. I've, got to, I've got to I've got to be careful. I don't wanna I don't want to have too much on at one time and it can become a, a bit of a cluster and a bit of an overwhelming project. You can swear if you'd like. It. Um, yeah. It becomes a <laughs> clusterfuck
0: to be honest. So
1: I am, um, I'm very, I'm very careful about what we're doing at a certain time. So if we've got two projects going on at the same time. I just, I, don't, I wouldn't want to be doing any more than that. It's just too much work for myself, the creator or the, all the other collaborators as well. It's too much for them um rise the talking bread for example was one of the biggest projects i'd ever done and that was basically a eight-month project from start to finish so and it had 12 creators involved in it wow so for, for me to be a creator be a writer be an editor um and do the illustrating of some of the pages as well plus make sure i'm micromanaging everyone and making sure they're on schedule um getting the the marketing material ready and getting the kickstarter ready getting the printing ready getting the merchandise ready it was a it was a slog um and I look back on it now and I'm happy I did it but it was a big risk um to take on all that all those people and try and juggle them all at once
0: it's like running so- a band
1: Basically, yeah, yeah. Except that I had the lead and I had to control all the all the different mechanisms going on at the same time. So, um, it's not for the faint of heart. I definitely wouldn't tell anyone that's starting up a comic to try and collaborate with, um, a team of twelve. But at the
0: end of the day, we got we got it out. When and... you say team of twelve, like, are you are you saying you've got they were all different artists, or there was a letterer, so, there was a colorist. It's... So there was six artists,
1: mm-hmm. six writers. Yep. So that was basically twelve. Myself thirteen. I had an editor, so someone who was checking over, to make sure all spelling and all that was correct. Um. So thirteen. I uh, did a lot of the lettering myself. So yeah, honestly, it was probably a team of fourteen to fifteen people at the end of the day. Wow. Yeah. So, it was. It was. It was full on. I look back at it now, and I'm like, I went. I went to that for a while. Um, it's 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 managed like I think you're I've a public you're a
0: publisher of a comic book um, publishing house. What do you mean you won't do it again? <laughs>
1: I won't do it. I won't do. It. I, won't do it. <laughs> I won't do that kind of project for a long time to come. I think doing it one on one with a creator or an illustrator or writer is a lot more fun, which yeah. I found doing in Purgatory. Um, I've really enjoyed the one on one. Um atmosphere of creating a story and having an artist come on and illustrate it for me and then showing the panels the pages as they progress the work um i i kind of let everyone that works with me on collaborating a project just have free reign i don't want to be i don't want them to feel like they're constrained to doing it in a certain way i want them to experiment if they want to change up their style then they're all I'm, I'm welcoming of that so it's uh it's it's become a more um more of a pleasure to do collaborations rather than dealing with twelve, and it took me back to a dark time when I used to be a manager. So I'll, I don't want that as such
0: for a while yet. Yeah, managing sucks.
1: It's a it's a definitely a acquired taste.
0: Uh, let's go back uh, yep. and talk about uh, the talking bread. Yeah, because effectively that's that, that's the the first bit of work that I saw you you create. Um, yes. And um, how did that? Where did where did the talking bread come from? Please. Um.
1: Well, yeah. So basically, where that came from was being unemployed. Right. <laughs> and I was, I was just getting back into drawing. Um. I've I was doing my own podcast at the time, the Halftone Effect, and watching all these indie creators just just create something and the passion that was behind it. I was just kind of like. Oh. I love comics. I read comics. Um, at the stage, I was a bit over the whole um, big leagues, how they keep rebooting stories and whatnot. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to have a stab at this. So I literally just plucked the idea out of my head. I was a baker um, prior to this. So I um, I decided I'll create a story about bread. Why not? It's wacky, it's different, <laughs> it's not about superheroes. I'm sick of superheroes. Superheroes are everywhere. Um, let's do weird stories. I grew up reading weird stories um, in comic books. Your likes of um, Johnny the Homicidal maniac. you know, I guess Teenage Mutant Turtles fall under the umbrella of um, superheroes, but to me they weren't no, such... no, they're
0: still fairly indie, though. They started yeah. out as an indie comic.
1: Yeah, um, The Max, The Mask, um, Tank Girl just weird shit and that was just where I was like I want to do a weird comic I'm like how weird can I get and I'm like I was a baker I work with bread Uh, I work with interesting characters
0: let's let's uh let's see where this goes how many people have come up to you and spoken to you about milk and cheese
1: um no not really in in regards
0: Um, to in regards to the talking bread
1: no 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 I haven't really had many people come up about that no really that's the question yeah no, I haven't. That's funny. Yeah, no, I haven't really had that. I've had a lot of people come up and talk to me about like uh, the weirdness of it and how it does relate back to a few of the comics that I just mentioned. But yeah, none of, no of one's really asked about milk and cheese for. That's just
0: uh, yeah, it's weird. That is weird because when I first saw your books, I just went, huh, milk and cheese. Like it was the yep. first thing that stuck into my head because you know, yeah.
1: I never really thought of it that way, but you're right. And I think like it is that it is those it is those comic books, but it also is that weirdness of Saturday cartoons and yeah, I guess your Monty Python as well. The Monty Python cartoons they had in between the films. It pulls from a lot of things. Like it's really weird, and it's, and people really get weirded out by it. I found when I first started doing the conventions, and it was mostly. Promoting the comic rather than having artwork in the background. So, there's big banners that say the talking bread. And people would walk up and they're like, What the hell is this? Like, why have you done this? And I'm like, well, Why not? Well, why not have the talking bread? Like, this is the story, this is what it is. And as soon as you say, Oh, I was a baker and this is the story of basically, you know, stuff that used to go on, people would connect. So, I had that connection. Um, they might have come up and said it was a stupid idea but I've been able to 360 that idea that they had in their head to being, okay, this is actually a really cool idea.
0: And, and typically like people that would, would come up and say those types of things, would you mm. necessarily figure them as, as comic book fans or would you, would you kind of say they're, they're more of a pop culture kind of, kind of subgroup? of um,
1: The ones that do, yeah, they're more pop culture based. That wouldn't, they usually don't pick up comics. Um, I would get that sale across to them saying, you know, this isn't a superhero comic, but it is a really freaking weird comic book. And they laugh like you see them, they open a couple of pages and they see a couple of panels and they'll laugh. And you kind of know that you've, you've, you've drawn them into the story itself. And they'll, and in some cases, they'll come back and buy, it. they've come back and bought the rest of the series. Um, that's great. So, I mean, to me, that's just that's a win.
0: Well, I don't. I actually find it very hard to believe that anybody could open the book and not smile or laugh. It's and it's it's actually great and, and it's a good read.
1: Yeah, it's, it's been. It was fun to create. I, I like any any artist. They cringe at their uh, their first project. Um, and it's funny because we're actually recently I just did a um stock take on the the floppies, the single issues, and we're actually coming to an end to the single issues. So it was kind of. I don't really go through them much anymore. It was kind of cool just sitting there, just going back through it and looking at it, and like, oh god.
0: <laughs> are you going to retire them, or are you going to reprint them?
1: I think I want to do it in a trade for the fun of doing it in a trade. I haven't done I haven't done a trade That's yet. That's a good idea. So I've been doing this now for five years, and I actually haven't gotten to a trade.
0: Holy shit! It's been it five gets. years.
1: Yeah, it's been five years. So um, I want to go and do a trade. Um, I would like to retire them just to see the see if i could rest it for a little bit then bring it back and see what what um people their reaction to it it's definitely something that's in the works um during COVID, i've been thinking about a lot more we've got a few copies to still sell um hopefully we get rid of those they're not there's not too many to sell sorry there's probably a good dozen to get rid of but um that's not a problem at all but i mean if we're doing conventions i would have sold them by now so i think in, in hindsight, it's fine. But yeah, I'm definitely going to go and do a um trade. I think that it'll be, it'll be fun. And I'll, I'll get to do the behind the scenes. Um, I do have a little short story that I'd like to include in there. I think that would be great for a little extra bonus for people who already picked up the single issues, but they can go and pick up the trade and they're going to get these little behind the scenes footage and um, a new little short story. Sweet. Sounds great. Yeah, and it's been fun. It hasn't. It's not like a, I. I don't enjoy drawing bread anymore. I still do enjoy <laughs> drawing bread. Um,
0: I imagine but... it's gotten a bit tired considering you already were a baker, and uh, and now for the last five years, all you've been doing is talking bread.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's 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 interesting though because I the, the more in, in purgatory comes out, the less I talk about the talking bread. So. I guess I've already laid it to rest, really.
0: Yeah, the nature of the beast, I suppose.
1: Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's all been it's, – it's been a great learning curve. Um, you know, you continuously build in any art form when you, you make more.
0: Did you collaborate with anybody on The Talking Bread prior to Rise of The Talking Bread? Or was it all the first six, first six issues, all you?
1: Ah, uh, first six issues were all me. I um, pitched it to a couple of friends in America – who were comic book creators themselves and they they love the idea so they were the, they were the ones that pretty much push they're the ones to blame pretty much um mm-hmm. i pitched it to them and they said that's a brilliant idea you need to do it you need to do it fast and I was like, all right, i'll do it so yeah i ended up doing it so basically from there on it was just yeah basically all, all me um doing it all myself which was i look at it now i'm like well now i'm doing it with people like a People who are doing my lettering now, I've got people editing for me, um collaborators I'm working with, which makes the process it's more streamlined I guess I'm getting about quicker than what I was when I was doing the talking bread,
0: yeah right yeah right and so so you mm. you you you've decided to do the talking bread mm. how, you know you said you plucked the idea right out of your just out of thin air, but how mm. did that go from from idea to concept to book for you how did that work
1: um at the time, I was just getting back into drawing. I hadn't done it for a few years, and I was just, like, scribbling away, and I started doing it. I was like, okay, well, I could do a web web series. So, I, I literally, and I still got the template here, and I built a comic strip template like what you had in your, your newspapers. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to do it that way. And it'd be just, like, a, a weekly thing I'd do because I'd just be able to slowly um, introduce myself to the world of comic books. And then I stumbled across Kickstarter, and at the time, it was being used by a lot of people to publish their art and yep. their stories. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe this is something I should do. So with the help of the podcast, I kind of use that as leverage to learn about how to market on um, crowdfunding. Yep. And so I'm like, you know what? Rather than do it as a strip, I'm going to just go out and I'm going to do the first issue. And I'm going to build a Kickstarter and I'm going to do a small amount and just get it funded to publish it. And fortunate enough that I was able to get the, the funding for it and publish it. The thing about it was that it was always that fear of jumping. Um, I really, it took me six months to get the comic out after Kickstarter. Yeah, right. And I kind of choked a little bit because I was like, oh my God, what have I done? Um, <laughs> I've taken these people's money um, and they're going to get this horrible,
0: <laughs> horrible comic. Everyone I've spoken to. Has has gone through a, a, the exact same yeah. kind of uh, dread. So yeah, it was that
1: real. It was that real dread behind it, thinking, "Oh
0: fuck, what have I done? This is horrible. No one's going to
1: read it. The people that have bought it, they're going to wa- they're going to want their money back." So, I I, I asked around for six months and eventually released it. And basically, I was like, "I need to start getting." more. I, I published a few of them a few hundred of them i was like i need to get these out to people i need to start promoting it so that's when the conventions started to come into the scene and the general reaction to my first big convention which was supernova um was it was positive um there were people who really enjoyed that kind of storytelling i'm like all right well i guess i need to make another one now
0: (laughs) yeah you can't just do one man (laughs) <laughs> no, so yeah,
1: it was kind of going back to the drawing board after that and going, all right. Well, I'm not going to overcommit and I'm not going to undercommit, so I'm going to do six issues, and I'm going to have some fun doing this. So, yeah, basically that's where it started from.
0: And did you see? You mentioned you leveraged the the podcast. The podcast you've you've done a fair few episodes. Did yep. um, you know, did you use that as a uh, as a kind of like a? I, th- I think you already mentioned actually. It was. It was a way of of learning how to do what you wanted to do with talking bread,
1: yeah, it, it was at the beginning, like the podcast started back in twenty fourteen and um it was just a way of connecting with the community, like I'd started to reach out well, originally I lived in Melbourne and I found indie comic books and I was just like, this is fascinating. There's an actual industry for this, and people seem to really enjoy it. There was like, I think it was All Star Comics, and they had the 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 cabinet full of um, Australian comics. And I was like, holy crap, this is actually really really cool. So I picked up a handful of stuff. Like at the time, um, it was like Craig Bruins From Above, Matt Kimes, Bat um, Bullet Bat Bulletproof Kid, mm-hmm. Darren Closer's Killer Roo. Uh, it was it was a I picked up so many and um at the time and I just read them, I'm like, this is this is unreal. Like are people that live in Melbourne, they just make comics, they make their own thing. And so, yeah, I reached out to a lot of them, um, through conventions and through online social media and just talked to them about it. Um, so Australia didn't have as much Kickstarter going on as what America did or the UK mm-hmm. at the time. So I kinda talked to a lot of american people about it and that gave me a lot of insight onto how to properly um, publish your comic through kickstarter yeah and that was a really great tool to have even though it was never my intention to use my podcast as um leverage but i think at the same time that said it also people around me that were listening to the podcast they were getting knowledge from other creators that they knew that were doing kickstarters and it's kind of a a great forum for them all to pick up and learn different things they might not have used on their kickstarters
0: mm-hmm.
1: so yeah the podcast really did become about you know using the information that had been there to help me project my own project but i still wanted to kind of not lose foresight of what the project the kickstarter sorry the podcast was and it was about promoting indie comics yeah and it still is to that. To this day, it still is about that. It just isn't as much
0: now, unfortunately. Um, I was going to say, how are you going to get time to do that? And, well, uh...
1: <laughs> it's funny. I did 13 episodes. I pretty much recorded them two a week, edited them, and then had them all ready to go by towards the end of the year. I think I dropped them in like September. I dropped 13 new episodes in September for people just to binge listen. Nice. Um, and like... It was a lot to juggle because at the time I'm trying to produce comics, so it's become a bit bit harder these days to do it. So that's why it's so few and far between mm-hmm. each episode now. Um, but you know, you know your likes of yourself who do graphic nature, um, there is like a, you know, there's a handful of people who do podcasts that are in similar mindset as what I started out with the halftone effect. So I think that it doesn't need to purely be my podcast anymore. There are other people doing the good work of spreading. Um, People's
0: work out there. It makes it sound like a religion.
1: (laughs) It is. It's a cult. Uh, Actually,
0: it is. Yeah, it's it's more like a cult.
1: Yeah, we are a cult. We are. We're you know (laughs) introverted artists and writers. We go to conventions,
0: then we go back home, and we do the same thing all over again. So now, with with uh, it, it's in purgatory, isn't it? In Purgatory, yeah, So yeah, with In Purgatory. So, your what, what's your capacity in that book?
1: So, I've originally planned this as a twelve-part series, so it's double the amount of what Talking Bread was. Mm-hmm. Um, we are into production for issue five and six back to back now. So, I'm currently sitting here working on the covers for both of those. Um, we did that through kickstarter we've been doing all of Impurgatories through kickstarter it's just a better format for getting our stuff out to a larger audience worldwide
0: right right and, and what's the, just just before we get into the nuts and bolts of in Purgatory, what's um what's the interest like from overseas fantastic that's um, great I'm kind of, talking bread is so
1: unique it's a harder sell Mm-hmm. Um, But within Purgatory, because it's about life after death and it has the Grim Reaper uh, in it, it, it seems to be an easier sell, um, which for me is – it's completely rocked me. I'm like, okay, well, there's an audience here who really enjoy this stuff. So doing it online sales when I was doing the Talking Bread, like if I did pre-orders through my own website, it just doesn't get – the attraction that a kickstarter does so i you know people see as crowdfunding i see it now as a it's a weapon you can
0: use it as a Uh, weapon uh, or or a tool for promotion exactly
1: yeah so it's a it pushes it out harder than what a website would um your marketing is there you don't have to pay for the marketing up front they take a cut of your sales from it Mm -hmm. which is five to ten percent that's not much Uh, It's not much at all, really, and and you and you and you budget that into your. If you're smart about it, you can budget into your your um your campaign. So, um, the feedback from this one has been more successful than the talking bread. Any particular regions? Um, can you even can you say that? Can you talk about it? Because I know that I do have a lot of people return for each one. Um, Texas, there's a few.
0: Right.
1: Um, where else is there? i think colorado i have a few oh, so mainly the states yeah it's, it's mostly states I, the funny thing is last so not the one that's just passed but the one beforehand for issue three i had um finn i've got finland i've got england of course um germany i have a few that go to germany and they carry ons from the talking bread um oh, it was it was a really weird one it wasn't weird, it was just a different one place that I'd never done before. Ukraine. Yeah. right. One that went to the Ukraine. I'm just like, okay, that's didn't expect that. And they they bought the three issues, which was really cool. So And, and these yeah, are hard. So
0: you're sending you're actually sending hard copies? Yep. Yeah. Oh, cool. yeah, hard copies. sending hard copies still. Yeah.
1: Um I had one go to a school in over in um Eastern Europe and they asked for some other copies to put into a library. Yeah, right. Great. Yeah. So it's, it's been good. We've actually, with the last Kickstarter, we actually had our first American store pick up um, the retail bundle. So we're actually stocked in a Chicago, or Chicago Comics, comics they're called. So, which is really cool. Cause that, we had that's amazing, looking. too. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it was really cool. I reached out to them. They bought the retail. And sometimes you might get people to just pick up the retail for themselves to give to a second person. hmm but the guy, I reached out to him and said, hey, man, look, you've picked up the retail bundle. Thank you. Um, you know, This is this is our production line. We've got all these comics out now and plus more. Um, would you be interested in getting any others? And he did Ended up picking up more of them.
0: He never hurts to ask.
1: Uh, exactly. And it was just saying his store, you know, it's been going through hard times during all this, this situation and especially what's been going over in America. But – he has a great audience who love to pick up independent comics from all around the world, and he goes, he feels that my comic will be um, a, a great seller in his store. So I was like, awesome. So I've made that connection. Now that's that's our first um, overseas stock. Um, so that's really cool. I'm really stoked by that. That is that should be that's that's
0: unreal. That's unreal. Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, it's a power of Kickstarter. Really, it's a power of crowdfunding. Um, I think it's underestimated.
0: Right, and and so this, so they come from. How does that work? So, effectively, people give you the cash, you print mm-hmm. them, and mm-hmm. each of them gets copy, and then you yep. have you have like a stockpile that you've got on the side that you can also kind of promote. Is that how that works? Yeah. So basically, how how I work is I
1: don't I don't make any money from it as of yet. Uh, you um, and
0: everybody else in comics.
1: Well, basically, yeah. But what I'm doing is. It do, I don't make money on the spot. I make money later on down the track. Yeah. Um, figured out. I've been able to figure out all the logistics out of it. And it's not that I want to make money from this. I want to be able to profit to be able to continue to make more of these, but also be able to profit to, make, to go to more of the conventions mm-hmm. um, prior to COVID. So um, it's not it's not about making money, but it also is about being smart with money. You have to be smart about it. Have you? Re- have smart-
0: Have you also released them digitally? Yes,
1: everything's been released digitally. You can buy them on the website um, Mm -hmm. digitally. And Kickstarter, I do digital packs, um, variant different prices on what they want to get. Um, I don't go through Amazon or anything like that. I don't like it.
0: That was going to be my next question, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm not a fan of Amazon. Um, Jeff's got way too much money as it is. The percentage that indie creators get from Amazon is fuck all. And I think that, to me, you know, they get a prop, they get a majority of it, and we get fuck So I think that in itself is just sh- shit, in the sense of how they market it. So look, yeah, okay, Amazon, it's it's a vast audience, that's cool. To me, I just feel like I've already got to compete with Marvel and DC on there. Um, I'm better off using another platform that. Is more enticed to the independent comics community. Like pri- prior to COVID, I think there were three thousand different comic book projects on Kickstarter. I wow. mean, that to me is a clear indication of what sells and what works on Kickstarter compared to what Amazon would be. Um, I don't even. I, don't, I would I, imagine I mean...
0: you'd get lost amongst all the Amazon shit anyway. Well, you would And I, I don't Like the last time And this is going back a few years now I don't even think They had an independent section Well, they do They do have Comixology now So And they Yes They, they yeah. heavily promote A lot of their A lot of the indie stuff on there Okay Yeah So is that
1: Yeah, see I, I don't use it um, cause I'm, I'm still getting comic books From comic stores I'm
0: <laughs> I'm still old school, man Comicsology has, has been growing in, Owned by Amazon um, I don't think they were originally yeah. I think they got bought out uh, no they won't. No. Yeah, that's right. And um you know they've catered the market they do they've catered to the market I should say and they they do offer quite a lot of of indie comics which is okay. which yeah, mainly mainly from America. I I don't know if they do many um many international ones. Uh international in in respect to the states but but um yeah, they've been doing that for quite a while now. And yeah. it's it's, it's yeah, I'm of two minds. I, I, again, I've I've recently just started reading digital comics on, yep. on an e-reader because I get stuff sent to me digitally, and it's really hard to read it on a desktop. Yeah, yeah. So you know, reading digital comics is still very novel for me. I'm I'm mm. I am a really big fan of, of of books, and you know, my bank my Visa card doesn't really like the amount of money I spend <laughs> on them, but. <laughs> but it's that, you know, for me, it's, you know, I'm still like you, like yourself, still part of that generation of tactile. Uh, you know, I want to see, I want to feel it. I want to smell it, you know, when I'm yeah. looking at it, when I'm reading it, and you know, and, and digital is a completely different, it's a completely different beast. It's funny because when I
1: first started reading digitally, I had a mate who was a big comic book reader? And he got me onto the digital way when I first moved to the rural area in Victoria because I didn't have a comic book store near me, so I was kind of like, I had to adapt. And he put it on his television, and I was reading a comic off the television by panel by panel. And for me, I was like, well wow, this is, I'm, I'm soaking in all this information that's in my face, like it's, you know, a 55-inch tally, and I've got a full panel of, like, batman and it's gotham city in the background i can see the detail and just the, the beautiful colors but uh, it was it was great at the start but i i kind of found myself lost in that i was like oh it's cool but i, I just there's this, there's that tangible feeling about sitting there and reading a physical copy um, of a single issue or whether it's a trade paperback um, and I felt lost I, yeah. in the whole digital aspect of I it.
0: I Absolutely understand. I know that just to even in the last couple of weeks, it's harder to navigate the way that a panel is placed, or particularly if you're looking at a at a spread, you know, a double yep. page spread, if you will, a digital version of it's really hard to navigate, particularly if mm. they're if they're crossing panels are crossing the the seam of the of the of the image or you know the halfway yeah. point, and so that's really hard. So. And, and and I'm still reading it at, um, you know, I read it by page. I don't read it by panel. It's not like there's. I don't. It's it's like your brain isn't getting enough of the information to understand what the hell's going on because it's yeah. going panel by panel. You're you know you're missing that part uh, of you know your brain filling in the gaps in between the in between the gutters, you know, between you, the panels. I should say.
1: I was about to say the same thing. Yeah,
0: that's the whole thing with comic
1: books. The the, the between the panels is where this it comes alive um it's where the story really just erupts in your mind and it's funny because like going back to indies people who read them that friends and family they like kind of read it and they're like oh but what's going on between this panel and this panel and it's like that's the joy of comics it kind of it it makes you create the scenario in your mind um and digital when you read them you lose you kind of lose that when you're going for the panel to panel rather than page to page um yeah man you just nailed them there that's exactly how i feel about it
0: yeah yeah and it, it's it's you know for me it's, it's about replicating you know i suppose for lack of a better description you know at the analog way of just you know mm. page turning and trying to replicate that in a digital form because that's how my brain understands it anything else kind of is, uh, is not enough because, yep. you know, you're, you're, your brain's not connecting the two. You're reading a panel, and then you're reading the next panel on yeah. this enlarged format, and it's just kind of like, well, what the f- what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> I yeah. hear you, man. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I, I much rather wait now. I get mine. For, I get my majority of my floppies from these um, Comics in Canberra. Um, but during COVID, I've been trying to support all the stores that buy our, buy our comics, and... Um, I've been in a lot of trades, been catching up on a lot of comics that I've missed over the years and it's just, it's great to be able to sit there on the couch and just churn away um, at a series or just the single issues. Um, I I won't make that transition now. I'd rather much, much rather support the stores, um, whether it be online sales or in-store transactions as much as I can because during, you know, like most businesses have gone through tough times, but. I mean, they're the ones that are putting our books in in store. Yeah. And I don't know how many people I've had come to me at conventions saying we picked your comic book at one of these stores, and we're coming to buy the rest. Like that is so gratifying. Um, I don't I don't want to lose that either. Um, I've got a great relationship with the majority of the comic book stores that stock our comics, and I don't want to lose that. Fair enough. That, So I'll still buy comics um, from the stores as long as I can.
0: You're listening to Graphic Nature. We'll return right after this short message. Hey, thanks for listening. Hope you're enjoying the show. Please jump on Facebook and like us, as well as following us on Twitter and Instagram. You can find all the details on the website, graphicnature.media. Thanks very much. When you started reading, what was the comic you were reading that really Um, blew your mind, that, that inspired you? Uh, to this lifelong membership to the cult that is comics.
1: Yep. So basically, what it was was my auntie bought me my first comic when I was three, and nice. I can still remember it to this day. It's kind of burnt into my cranium now. I'm like, I just I always have that um, a part of my my um, my life. Um, Do you still have
0: that,
1: it? I've got it. I actually lost it when I was a kid, but I actually found it and bought it off eBay. Nice. I'm trying to find the freaking thing
0: now. What's it
1: called?
0: Uh, we can't see it. <laughs> you might I know, tell right me can
1: tell you what number it is. So it was Batman um, issue 457. Um, and it's basically, it has Batman upside down with spiders crawling all over him, scarecrow, and Robin bouncing through the window. Um, and that's stuck in my mind. And I always, I never forgot the cover. And it basically mutated from there. Because I grew up in rural Victoria, there wasn't a uh, comic book store around. So I got my comics from the local newsagents. Mm-hmm. Spinning. Spinning rack. So it was, um, it was Batman. It was Phantom. Um, they did, on the rare occasion, get um, different comic books in. So whenever they did come in through the door, I would jump at the chance to get them. Some of them are probably a bit too mature for my age. But again, like it was very, very minimal to what I could get my hands on, but whatever I could, I would, and from there, it kind of just continued to grow the movies, you know they were the Batman returns and um in the 90s i mean blade as well as much as that was probably a bit out of my league for my age bracket i was able to watch that and be like oh this is cool you know i never knew about blade i started reading those comics and basically any chance i had when i was in a city i would go to a i'd run to a comic store and buy as many as i could
0: nice
1: um didn't matter what it was it basically was just whatever i could get my hands on at the time
0: yeah right yeah
1: so from there it kind of it it, it kept growing I've, I've never stopped reading comics um i got a bit disheartened with uh the big leagues after i think it was one of the batman films i think batman and robin i think it was i was kind of like Ugh, i'm kind of over this character at the moment so i stopped reading <laughs> batman for a while but that was a good thing I was kind of that's where i kind of got introduced to the end well i guess that stage was the indie comics the image comics so spawn um, Scarred, The Disposable Assassin, Um Great The boy. Max, The Mask The Max, Kent, The Max Turtles, Um Tank Girl. I mean, these were the comics that inspired what what inspired me to become a creator myself. So this is kind of where it started for me. It was like, okay, well I've had the superheroes and um I've read that kind of part of it. And that at that stage I hadn't read like Your Likes of Watchmen or Beef Vendetta or The Dark Knight Returns. Like I didn't read those till
0: I was well into my teenage years, oh so Kieran, I worked that. at a comic shop for for about fifteen years before I read those books. You, you know, you're not yeah. missing much.
1: <laughs> that's right. At least there's someone else out there as well that's kind there, of. There's quite
0: a few. There's quite a few. It was it was interesting to to be working at a comic shop and not have had read those books. I, I think I read the. When did I read? them? I read the Watchmen and V for Vendetta in a. There was about a stretch of two or three months in, the mid two thousands. Or the mm. early two thousands, I think it was, because everyone had talked about them so much. I just thought, ah, I've heard, I've heard enough bits about the stories. I don't, I, you know, I, I just didn't give a shit. Uh, yeah. And I read them, and I saw their relevance, and and I and and I understood why they're held, they're predominantly held up as some of the most amazing works in comics. But then, yeah. that's that. You know, there's yeah. there's a lot of good work out there, and like yourself, access to Melbourne creators, to Australian creators, to European creators to South American, uh, South African, you know, or or just African, I should say. Um, you you know, there's, there's so much stuff out there that, you know, in the grand scheme of things, yeah, Watchmen was great. If you want to look at it from a, from a a Western kind of, uh, Western centric ideal, Mm. that they're great books and they're really relevant to a lot of what's going on and what has been going on for many years now. But, Mm. you know. Well, it's the thing. It's the kind of they were the
1: punk rock of their generation, but now they're the kind of conservative comics. When you look at them, you reread them, and you're like, these are real conservative.
0: Well, they're they're owned by corporations.
1: Too, yeah. <laughs> exactly, um, I, I kind of look at it like the indie community. For me myself, you know, I'm a punk rock at heart, and the the way I do the comics, I I feel it's there's a real punk, um, real punk acidity to it, and I want to continue to do that. I don't want to be I want to like I want to publish my own comics but I don't want to be working for the big ones because what I see and what I feel from the comics that they produce it's just reboots after reboots and this is this is not slandering them and not anything against them but it's not for me I am not that kind of reader
0: I think yeah um, I think mm. I think the issue with with a lot of that stuff is you know in my mind they work a lot of that kind of ongoing for 75 years kind of shit doesn't really hold up because they're working on generations yeah Uh, that's the way i see it so every new generation gets to see the story again that's why there's reboots and that's why they alter the story and all this other kind of stuff and i get that they're a business they're in it to make money a lot of the times some of the stuff they do is fucking amazing uh Mm. you know if they allow some uh, latitude for the for the creators to do you know what they're there for Mm -hmm and other times it's just schlock shit. It's just like, oh, oh, I've read this story before. In fact, I read it four years ago with the same characters in mm-hmm. it. You know, and and I and I do sympathise with with um, with you and with others that just kind of get sick of it. But every once in a while, I, I find myself going back because they get a new creative team or they get some you know whiz bang um, cat in there to do some amazing work with some of the pre existing characters that they've had or that they've owned for years and years and years. Mm. Um, and and I have no problem with that. You know, I still pay good money to to read some good. You know, for me, it's like if it's good, I don't care. I'll pay for it. I don't give a yeah. shit. But on the, ho-
1: I, I'm I'm a sucker for anything that's um that I know the writer or the artist that have done stuff that I love. Like Kelly Jones did a series last year of Batman, and I was just like, yes, yes, please, I'll have all those. Um, I mean Gareth Enos just jumped over to Batman. I mean yes, please. I love Gareth Ennis's work. I want to read what he does with Batman because he's never done Batman before. But yeah, you're right. It's it's kind of like you 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 pick and choose who you want to to read now more so than what you would have prior to losing interest in these characters because every five years now they're getting rebooted. Well,
0: yeah, I, I must say that in saying all of that, there is only one character that I have. I've been now buying religiously mm. um, since the late nineties, and that's Daredevil. Okay, There's the one it's the one character for some dumb reason that I just can't stop. Like I buy I I buy the ongoing series every month. When they reboot it. I buy that one too. Yeah, I just uh it, just one of, I think the the, the the character, although he's not my favourite character, but mm. it, for some reason. The run that happened in the mid two thousands really solidified to me why the character why Daredevil as a character is so amazing and why I've enjoyed those books for so long. Yeah, and you know, and I've read I've read some shocking Daredevil stories, but like many people have been reading comics for a very long time, and mm. uh, you know, uh, as we mentioned already, it gets a bit tired to be reading the same shit over and over again or the same kinds of stories. Um, and and it's always you know it's one of those things where if if it's done well I'll keep reading but for the most part in most circumstances uh, I will drop a book if it's just getting boring or if I don't care.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you there, man. It's it it can become very repetitive and very
0: um, just
1: melodramatic, really. And, oh, and and <laughs>
0: it's 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 it's, it's it's one of the reasons why uh, a lot of the. Uh, in independent kind of released books, and, and and now more so than ever, there's what is, you know, where there used to be, uh, you know, a few, a few mm. um, decent decent comic comic publishers, uh, particularly before we're talking the American commercial industry. Now you're mm. looking at seven, eight, nine, ten really fucking good ones, yeah. Um, and they're all new, you know, they're all new. They're only pumping out three or four titles here or there every couple of months, yeah. Uh, but damn, there's some good shit out there.
1: Yeah, but it doesn't need to be oversaturated. No, no. You know, know, 12 different issues coming out a year. It can be spaced out. Uh, Only
0: if you want to make money and if you own, you know, properties that are worth gajillions.
1: Yeah, yeah, to an extent, yeah. Um, There are other ways of funneling it out now without having to pump out everything about the, the character itself. I mean, you can be smart about it, which is what I've learned. You'd be a bit more smarter about it and... Practical about it to the audience, and and treat the audience as smart as well. If they want more, they'll come back. You don't have to keep pumping it out, churning out crap, um, month after month or year after year, just to make that quick dollar. If they're if they're a loyal reader and they they know that you're going to continuously keep putting it out at your own pace, they will stick around.
0: Um, uh, yeah, look, I must say that that particular lesson, uh, I imagine. Was learnt by a lot of the bigger companies, uh, particularly in the '90s, because there was a, there was a lot of shit. Anecdotally, the shittest title that Marvel was printing uh, in the mid '90s. Then I'm talking volume wise. So you're talking, you uh, know, I think the the shittest selling title was uh, maybe a hundred and something thousand <laughs> copies. Jesus. Yeah. Nowadays. Nowadays, that is, that's pretty much like the top tier of what you'd be yeah. selling, like, uh, you know, generally, uh, there's, yeah. there's, obviously, there will be books that kind of click over, but yeah, that you, you know, yeah. 200,000, I think, is is like a huge deal nowadays, um, and, you know, and you're talking about prices that are, are double what they were, some, in fact, triple, I think, no, double, double, from the mid-90s. Yeah, and it's
1: crazy, uh, you know, your, your McFarlans, and your Liefelds, and the, that, the you know, they still, I guess they are, to an extent, superstars to the industry, but,
0: Oh, just, just it's it's mind boggling and you're It's a right. different it's a different era now. You won't get cats like that ever again.
1: No, you won't and because of the film industry that's probably the reason why. Um
0: No, I think just... I think it's the comic industry that particularly if you're talking commercial industry, I think it's just they just they've just become machines. They're just machines and and every new artist and every new writer for the most mm-hmm. part is uh you know as a as another cog, uh, another spoke in the cog. Um, yeah, you know, and they, you know, they, and it, it's still, it takes longer, I think, for a lot of people to kind of get to where some of those guys were in the nineties. It just takes a hell of a lot longer to get there because there's so many more people, there's so many more companies, so oh, many yeah. more comics, so many more, um, uh, you know, intellectual, uh, you know, there's so many more characters and and so much more IP. Yeah, that it's it just it's never gonna be like that again. No. You know, yeah, it'll, uh, it might yeah, come man. close every now and then, but I don't think they'll ever hit that kind of craziness. Yeah. Mm. No, I hear,
1: yeah, man, it's, it's definitely a different industry than what it was. But, you know, at the same time for us, for any creators, it's still fun. And I think that's, that's, that's just as important as running it as a business. You still need to have fun doing it. If you're not having fun doing it, then it, is, um, it, it could be a slog to do more
0: on on and, on on running as a business do you is it is it a conscious thing for you or was it just a matter of i want to do my comics and then that kind of evolved into i uh, i want to see if i can make this into a thing well it's funny cuz originally it evolved into it but
1: i've got a i've got a background in um business management so i was like well i've got that ability why not why not i using it to um my advantage and and pivoting my books um under a publishing umbrella so you know i've i've done the hard yards to build this business um by negotiating with printers um doing all the stuff that you know the the creator might not have the the the, lev- the leverage to do it so i think that it's kind of where i was like all right well i've created the comics now I want to mass. I want to produce them to a certain extent, not mass produce them, but produce them to be able to funnel them out into stores and have them at conventions, and not have to be, you know, reprinting small amounts of stock and costing me more in um, printing than I do on my profit margins and all that. So it was about being a bit more savvy and about being a bit more smarter about how I did this, and that just it's kind of streamlined now into an ability to be able to. Build this as a business uh, business model, and you know slowly and surely I do want to introduce more people to the um, the umbrella of Half Productions. But it, I want it to be a really careful process. I don't want to make it too big too quickly. Um, so yeah, it was it was never a it was never a conscious decision to get to where I am now. I didn't think it would. I never thought in my wildest dreams I'd be making more and more and more and people would want to read them. It was literally just a, a whimsical of an idea to make the talking bread. And it's kind of blown up now. In my mind, it's blown up um, that I'm making more and people are demanding for more. They they want to see more of In Purgatory. Um, and in the future, I've got more planned. There's definitely different stories. I'm already working on the next one. Um, for in between in purgatory,
0: that's great. Yeah, that's that's actually I, really fucking awesome, man. I don't want
1: to stop. I, I I I enjoy creating. Talking bread was on the fly. That there was no. I'm not gonna say there was no thought process in it, but there wasn't the the process that I go into now with creating um, a project. Um, you know, I look at the studio now, and there's like a back wall behind me. It's got like post notes all over it for the next one. The next uh, actual story that I'm doing, and you know it'll continue to evolve that way. Um, Brad's comic Super E Battle Armor, he's working hard on that. Um, it's been a harder slog for him.
0: Which is a which is a title now th- that's separate from you, and that's just under the umbrella of Half Time Productions. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah,
1: so it's under the umbrella of Half Time Productions. It's still Brad's um, baby. That's his baby. He rebooted it. Two, three years ago now, um, he had an artist and they parted ways. And I think he was at the point where he's like, well, do I want to keep doing this? And I'm like, well, look, you can come over to me on the label. You, it's the same kind of setup that Image has um, and how they do business with their creators. Yeah. So without screwing their creators over with their IP, they let them keep the IP and they take a percentage of the sales. So... I, I'm not in it for fame and glory. I'm in it to make comics, have fun doing it, and have a small team around me that makes their comics and makes their stories, and they enjoy what they do. And Brad is one of those people. Uh, I've known him for a few years now, and he thoroughly enjoys it. I helped him push him into making the, the first issue that they did with his um, old artist, and from there on, he's really enjoyed doing it. And it's a personal st- story of his. Um and they've just they're finishing up issue three now on Kickstarter. Um so we'll go into prints hopefully in the next couple of weeks. But he loves doing it and I don't want to see him fall away from doing it. So um having him come on board is kind of the stepping stone where we go to the next stage and go, Okay, well, there will be more coming on. Um it's just a matter of when and how.
0: Yeah, right. That's cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's fun and it's good having him on the team i mean it's it's we bounce off each other a lot um ideas um he gets to read my scripts and vice versa um if we're unsure of something that we're trying to work on we can always sit down and talk about it um you know there's a big big beast that it is social media
0: um taking care of it all how are you implementing it to uh, to help out with the books and the publishing side of things
1: so in the early days when halftime productions first launched it was great um the 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 dynamic of social media has changed rapidly and faster than we can keep up really um without having someone paid for to to probably nurture it and look after it so We've got the fan base on Facebook. It's there. People react to our um, posts and they enjoy, you know, the new things we put up on there, whether it be artwork or stories of um, conventions we've done. So we still do it. It's kind of like a, I find Facebook more of a um, a blog page for us now. We get to we get to put up certain things that are going on and yeah, people right. get to kind of react to it. Um, we try to make that interaction there like things with Kickstarter. We really try to encourage our audience to post their parcels online that they've arrived at their doorstep, um, which we enjoy seeing. It's gratification of that whole process we go through to make these comics to have them at the doorsteps of our readers and have them there. So we really try to get feedback from our um, our readers. Instagram is a little bit different. We do that with more of a personal aspect. So I've got my own personal page. Where I put up my artwork and, and I'll promote the comic books themselves. Um, every social media outlet is different. So I kind of treat it differently. So, yeah, Facebook's about the business, whereas Instagram and Twitter are more about the creators themselves. Um, I find there's a more personal point with those ones rather than Facebook, where it's more of the face of the business. Yeah, right. But, but yeah, it's all about money on social media now. You've got the money, it'll get you further than what um, an organic post will. It's a shame, isn't it? It is because really at the beginning when I started doing Facebook um, for Halftone Productions, it took off really well and it was really cool. But yeah, and and then you know they're a business too. They've got to treat it as a business, so it's understandable that you can only get so far with an organic post um, that I that we put up rather than paying for a post and reaching a further audience.
0: Speaking of further promotion of your work, have you entertained the idea of maybe taking Tone Productions or even some of the books themselves uh, to international conventions?
1: So this year was actually supposed to be our year overseas. Oh, shit. Um, so I'd started booking in conventions over in America. And they weren't the big conventions by any means. They were a lot of small ones. Um Emerald City Comic Con was one. Cool. Um, I was looking at doing one in um, Florida. I had checked out the scope of what it would take to get to New York Comic Con mm-hmm. um, because that's more about the comics. So I, I've kind of refocused, and we're talking about this before the show started, I've kind of refocused my, um, my site on how I do things and um, and how I sell the comics. And honestly... I'm reaching a further audience now um, with the help of Kickstarter and my website and my Instagram and all the other social media aspects. So it's kind of been able to stop, reset, and restart. Um, And that said, I'm probably going to be doing less conventions come out of COVID. Yeah, right. Um, I want to focus on creating more stories. Now that doesn't mean I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna do conventions. I still want to do conventions because there's that thrill of the chase of you know gaining new readers and getting more of my artwork out there and making new connections. So I don't say that I won't be doing them anymore. I just know that I'll be doing a lot less of them. And you know, like last year I did 18, the year before I did 24, the year before that I did 26, sorry, I did 16. And the year before that, I think I did 12. Wow. Um,
0: You did 24 conventions.
1: I did 24 conventions two years ago, yeah. Jesus. I was on the road every second weekend. Um, And it wasn't like, there weren't big ones. There were small ones in between that. So it was, but it was still 24 conventions I got out to. And look, it was- Where where were all these conventions? All around the country. You they know where? A, like 24? Like rural areas, like rural areas that you wouldn't even think of. Right. Um, Wangaratta has one. Wagga has one. Um, further up in Sydney, you've got um, Newcastle, you've got um, Wollongong, Goulburn, Albury, Shepparton, um, where else? It, it's It's just mind-boggling. And, the rural shows you, you do really well because people are starved for this. They don't get it. Like it's um, the same
0: model I remember. Uh, you know, young bands in the nineties and early two thousands. Yep. What you do is you go to the regional towns. You don't don't bother going to the cities because no one gives a shit. But if you go to the uh, if you go to the rural towns, it's kind of like wow, there's a band playing tonight. Let's go and see them.
1: Hey, hey, where do you think I got it from? <laughs> <laughs>
0: makes yep. sense. Yep. It makes a lot yeah. of sense. And, and,
1: and it works and it works. Like some of my best shows have, and they're single days. They're a single day show. Um, and then I was long, I'm in and I'm out and I could make the same profit margins as I would at a large show. And I mean, I've got everything else to contend with there as well. You know, accommodation, food, hotel. If I get a hotel, fuel, all that. And the regional shows a day up and a day back, Little fuel, no accommodation, a little bit of food. I'm all set. I mean, yeah, it's 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 so funny when you do the small shows. You just make as much money as you would a big show. It's like, why am I doing the big shows? Yeah, right, but right. it's about experience and about the exposure.
0: Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm going to – I really want to go to Bendigo Con. That's the one, one that I really want to check out. Cause Bendigo Because like, yeah. I love Bendigo. It's yeah, one yeah. of my favorite towns outside of Melbourne. Yeah.
1: That's a fun show. We, had, we, we did that one last year and we had a lot of fun at it. Um, but yeah, the, the regional shows are great. I enjoy the regional shows. Um, single day, get in, get out, get to meet new people that wouldn't be at the big conventions. They've never been to them before. So it's a whole new world for them. Um, and some of them haven't even heard of an indie coin before. So, I mean, it's even better for that reason. You get to pitch to people that wouldn't be experienced to that. And they wouldn't even know that there was an actual industry in Australia.
0: So I suppose, I suppose now that, you know, you're, you're a big publisher and all this other kind of stuff. Um, uh, hang on, let me finish the question. You're um, very kind. When you look back on your work on The Talking Bread, did you prefer doing the art or was it more about the, the writing the story? Like which discipline did you prefer? Or Did you enjoy more? I should say.
1: I guess I'm greedy. I want both. Um, I I love writing. Um, I've written, within Purgatory, I wrote um, three issues back to back. And for me, that was a great experience because I'd never done that before. But I kind of was like in the zone where I didn't stop and I just wrote. And then I I was kind of relieved because I was like, oh my God, that story is now off my chest. Um, I get to go now and illustrate them um so i think really i'm greedy i enjoy both sides of it writing is so much fun because you just you're plucking at your mind where um illustrating the comics and mapping out how the page is going to evolve with the story that you're trying to tell that for me is also exhilarating um getting i actually do it quite often i'm it's, it's not a secret or anything, but I pull comics off my shelf beside my desk and I'll scour through them and see the people that I've grown up reading and go, oh, you know, the layout and how they've positioned the characters with the speech and whether it's an action shot, it kind of inspires me to be able to go, okay, well, I could do this differently and I can pluck out bits and pieces and really adapt that kind of um, that storytelling.
0: So who are your heroes then? Who 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 are the who are the uh, creators that you're pulling off your shelf? Um, for a lot of it,
1: um, Jonah Vasquez of uh, Johnny the Homicidal Maniac was mm-hmm. Talking Bread especially.
0: Yeah, I could see that. In my lie.
1: Yep. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Now with Impurgatory, far out, man. Um. Scud the disposal assassin, very much in the early stage of um, Impurgatory. That was one. Um. So that's Dan Harmon, and I'm having a mental blank on the illustrator's name now. I feel embarrassed. Um. Now more so with um, with In Purgatory, it's Gerard Way. A lot of his art style I'm um influenced by. Yeah.
0: Right.
1: Uh, Jamie yeah. Hewlett, very much so. His art style definitely is another one. Um. Yeah, it's weird. It's is it. There's different different things like Mike Mongolia, who does Hellboy. I pluck stuff from him all the time. Um, the way he does a page layout, and it's all very much shadow based, um, art style. Yeah, he's good. uh,
0: uh McDonald's got a spectacular, uh, a spectacular style.
1: Oh, it's just it, it flows so smoothly, and it's basically just he's a lot of his artwork is shadows. Even like um. Early days of In Purgatory, I was pulling from Frank early day Frank Miller stuff. It, it it just it just varies. It just varies on how when I first come up the story, I always write down influences that I want to look at when I'm continuously going through the series. Um, Talking Bread was basically yeah Jonan, um, but yeah In Purgatory has been influenced by a lot of people. Kelly Jones again he come he comes into it massively. Um, Sam Keith of the Max very much so again. It just fluctuates. Scotty, Scotty Young, definitely Scotty Young was in Talking Bread as well. There's right. a bit of his uh, his his cartoonish style. But yeah, it, it fluctuates, man. Like the next project, I'm 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 keen to talk about it, but I don't know I want, I, I want to have more. But it's going to be, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of Golden Age influences involved in this one. It's still going to have that cartoon um, acidity to it but it's also going to be very much a golden age style as well.
0: Yeah, cool. Cool. Yeah. We'll, you know, we'll wait until it comes out. And check yeah, out.
1: It's, a, it's a work in progress. I haven't got a release date for it. I want it to be kind of – I actually want this one to be finished before I even announce anything, even yeah. though I can't help myself most of the time.
0: Oh, no, keep it under your head, man. Keep it under your head. I can't help myself. <laughs>
1: I'm, my own worst enemy. I'm like, oh, this is fucking great. I can't wait. And then I'll go, blah, here's everything. <laughs> got to be careful this one this one's this one this one could get me into trouble so i've got to be careful
0: considering you just mentioned uh, all the all the people that you love referencing particularly when you're working on your own comics uh yeah who would you want to collaborate with if you could <sighs> doesn't doesn't have to be doesn't have to be you know one of your I, heroes it can be it can be someone that you just really want to work with um you can't talk about anybody you're already collaborating with, no. That's, I know, they're, they're the rules. I've
1: already collaborated with a majority of Australian independent creators who are up and coming. Um, it's a, that's a hard that's a hard question because I, I don't know. I'd like to have a couple of big names do some variant covers. I know they would sell comics from a business aspect.
0: No, no, um, no. no, no. Let's, not, let's forget about money. Who does Kieran Nunn want to work with?
1: Shit, just looking at the comics right now i'm really really stumped me with this question i don't know who i'd like to work with um i think for creativity wise i think frank miller would have been interesting to work with in his heyday because he's got a real weird sense of, of um thought in process of story storytelling i think that would have been really cool um i don't know as much now um, I think he's had a lot go on, so I don't think he's doing as much as what he used to. Mm. But I, if I could, it would have been Frank Miller.
0: Right. Wow. Yeah.
1: Okay. yeah. I, it's just, it's, the more I read about this guy, the more, you know, even though he's worked for the big guys, the more we, actually, okay, I can, Grant Morrison.
0: He's done some interesting things. Mm. And, and I've said this, I've gone on record many times saying, yeah. oh, you know, uh, expressing my dis my dislike for, for grant morrison i th- my main point i think is he's gotten to a point where he's overrated
1: yeah no no, i see that
0: i don't a, understand a, that. a lot of people idolize him yeah, yeah yeah and it's just like why there are so many other writers out there that are just as good if not better
1: there's a weirdness there's a real weirdness to his right it's kind of like neil gaiman um, neil gaiman's probably a bit more coherent um, in his storytelling But I think that Where they two, Those two separate Is that um, Morrison is really, He goes Off the edge um, Immensely So I can yeah, understand, no, I, I, I,
0: understand I, it. I, I don't I don't I, I disagree with that I've read some of his stories You know I'm not just saying it Because I think he's an idiot I just I've tried reading his stories And we're going This is f- Overly confusing For what mm, If you're yeah. going to write something Make it fucking clear that's the whole point. You know? Just you'd be really fucking views
1: <laughs> Dude, you at the same time you put I've really been stumped by it because like they're they're people that I I idolise, but I don't know if I'd want to work with them at the end of the day. It's kinda of like
0: Be careful of you you don't meet your heroes kind of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've always been that way. I've always like, yeah, I I can meet a meet a guy that I you know I've idolized since I was a kid, but they could turn into an absolute fucking asshole. In which case, it has happened a couple of times on um, Instagram and Twitter where I've you know retweeted something or tagged tagged something of uh you know you've you've inspired me and I've received fucking them just being an absolute asshole and it's like that's why you don't meet your heroes. <laughs> Um, yeah, that yeah. that's said, I got to meet um, Kevin Eastman. The guy was a just absolute gentleman. Um, he was no, so I've, nice. Yeah, I've, I've heard as much. Yeah, he he was appreciative of the fan base, which I think is really important once you become a big a big league. You don't get to the big leagues without having a fan base who buy those comic books. Yeah,
0: but he got screwed. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the stories I've I've read and I've watched that there was a lot of behind the scenes stuff that were going on that probably we weren't privy to and he walked away from it. Um probably and he said it he said it himself in a doco I watched. He walked away from that um very silly and should have worked should have worked it out and, and um done a lot more that would've benefited him at the end of the day. Um but I went up to him and I actually handed him the talking bread. I was like, dude, like, I've got a lot of influences in my life um, who have helped me, inspired me to create. And I said, you're one of them. I read Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when I was a teenager. And um, I said, look, these are my comics that's about bread. And he laughed. He thought that was fantastic. And he's like, this is awesome, I've got something to read back on the plane. I don't know if he'd read them, if he was just being polite, he might have thrown them out, who knows. It doesn't but,
0: matter, man, it doesn't but matter. But he
1: asked me to sign them, he goes, would you sign them? Well, I hadn't signed the comics, because I was in a, in a hurry to get it done before the end of the day, and um, he got me to sign them, and he goes, no, I'm going to read them. I've got a plane, I've got a 16-hour flight to get home to. So he goes, so I've got some reading material. I'm like, cool, well, you know, feel free, I've got, there's, you know, you can shoot me a message on social media, my contact details are in all my comics. Feel free to shoot me a line if you've enjoyed reading them mm. um,
0: doesn't hurt to ask.
1: I mean, yeah, and that's the thing. Like I, I like that. I like that there's there's creators out there that are very down to earth and they're they're very accepting of it. And like himself, he, he went through the mud um to get where he is now. And I mean he's got a loyal fan base. Um but yeah I, I, I feel I, I feel like I'm lucky. I've worked with my peers. I've been able to work with Matt Kime and Andy Spice and Bradley and Ben Mitchell, Tim Stiles, um, all of these people. Even like I was a part of the Australia Burns anthology and I got to meet new people through that. That
0: was a great initiative.
1: Yeah, it was fantastic. And like when Tim came to me and asked me if I wanted to be a part of it, I was I think I was in production for one of the comics, and it was really like intense trying to get it completed in time. And um, I was only going to pass on it, and I'm I'm glad I didn't in the, the day, cause it's it's been really cool collaborating with all these different people, people who I didn't know, um. But also the money where it's gone, um, and how it's all been executed is really smart, and the people that have got on board for it, um, in Australia, the likes of Jeffrey's Printing who printed them um it was a great initiative um and i don't think we'll ever see anything like it for a while but let's, let's hope people.
0: not because
1: that, yeah, there's that too yeah i think the like, whole yeah, reason it exists so, is because should, of should have worded that better <laughs> I? I, hope, I probably won't see the, the collaboration of that volume for if not ever but we won't see anything like that for a long time mm. i think it was like over a hundred different Hundred and fifty different collaborations. In yeah, that it was book. it was a lot of people. And it ended up being two books. One was digital, and the other one was physical.
0: Um, oh, they'll different.
1: Yes. Wow, yeah. and I, I
0: didn't mean, know that. My stupid little story got in there. That's great.
1: Um, but yeah, it's 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 funny because I've I've worked with I've collaborated with the people that I want to collaborate with, and they're the indie creators
0: of the industry are there any commercial characters that you would, that you might have a story for or that you might want to work on? And when I'm in mean commercial, I mean mainly from the top two uh, American Marvel and DC.
1: I have a a script that I've written for Batman that I've written, but it's not, it's not, it's, a, it's it's an Elseworlds story. If anything, it would be an Elseworlds story. Um, it's very different to the normal take of the dark Knight. Um, you know, he was the one that got me into comics.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Um, so I think if I was going to do anything, I'd want to write Batman. I'd write a Batman story, and it's it's a good like I I think this is my my own ego and opinion talking right now, but I think it's a good story. It's very different to what anyone else has done before that I've seen. So I don't think it's it's your usual. and It wouldn't be for the the standard Batman audience. It would be people. Who enjoy those Elseworlds stories of um, Batman Year One Hundred, um, Blood Rain, Batman versus Dracula? It's real Elseworlds story. So it would, yeah, I would I would like to do that story if it ever came a knocking. But I have, I don't have a lot of ambition to want to work for the big guys. I've seen what goes on behind the scenes, and I just don't feel. That's what I'd want
0: to do. Uh, are there, do you have stories? Do you have, uh, is it gossip? Oh, I do.
1: Um, I, don't, I don't know if i, I no, I, I won't say anything. because It's not, it's not fair not, on the people. No, no, no. It's
0: no, not no. fair on the people. That no, are, no, no, I just, no mudslinging, please.
1: Yeah, no, no. no I, I just feel like I wouldn't want to be a part of that. I don't, that's not me. Um, I'm better off creating and being free to do my own thing.
0: That's a good way to look at it.
1: Yeah, and it's funny cuz like <laughs> I don't think DC would ever go for this story and it's funny cuz I know that Gerard Way who did the Umbrella Academy um he did a Batman story for DC about 10 years ago now and it got scrapped Yeah right and I've read this I've read the pitch for it and the the character designs and to me for me it would be an an instant win I would pick it up straight away and it's funny because they've gone out and they've done the sculptures for one of their DC direct lines for the Batman Black and White for his both his Batman and Joker. Interesting. Um, and they're gorgeous. I mean I've got them. I I as soon as I knew they were coming out. Um it's called Batman Mad Kingdom.
0: Oh, I think and I heard about that.
1: Yeah, it's a very um uh what's it called? I'm having mental blank right now. The nineteen thirties style of filmmaking. German expression. Yeah, right. It's very German expression. And mm and I guess steampunk as well, but that I, makes just sense. Thought, I read the storyline. I'm a sucker because I love um, Michael Romance and Umbrella Academy. I love those comics. So as soon as I heard they were they were talking about doing it, and I was like, this is going to be awesome. And then, yeah, it got scrapped. And I was like, oh, well, there you go. There's the proof in the pudding, you know. <laughs> they, they scrap stories as easily, and then they try and profit off it by creating merchandise.
0: Well, they are a business They are a they business
1: are. So At the end of the day, they are a business But yeah, it's it's kind of the hindsight of it all It's like they're They just, they're just there to make a quick buck and not really care about what they're yeah, doing
0: look I, you know, I, in, in 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 some ways I agree with that In other ways I kind of disagree with that I think for the most part They are entities that own those those characters And they can in fact do whatever the hell they want to do with them you know, they have, they have yearly meetings and you just think yeah. of any corporation. That's kind of what they do. that's You know, well, people they, people who, who buy them and then complain about what's going on. It's kind of like, well... Well, that's the thing, yeah. And I've know, stopped doing that. I
1: decided to step away from that a while back. Um, and it was a smart decision. But, I mean, you know, you pay with your wallet, you know. You make that decision when you go to the movies or we pick up the comics. You're paying... You're telling them you want more with your wallet. No less.
0: Absolutely, Kieran, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, and I'm sorry it's taken so long to get you uh, on on the show. Pleasure
1: coming on. It's great to be able to get on finally um, and do it. It's a, you know absolute pleasure. Awesome. Um, but yeah, man, thanks again for having me on. It's been nice. Absolute... No, thanks,
0: thanks for coming on. Uh, I'll speak to you at some point in the future. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, mate. See, you, mate. See you later. That's it for this episode of Graphic Nature. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, Please rate and review the show on whatever podcast service you use. It'll be greatly appreciated. If you have any thoughts regarding the show, feel free to send an email to feedback at graphicnature.media. You can catch me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. For more information about the show, visit Graphic Nature on the web by typing into your handy web browser, graphicnature.media. Thanks very much for listening, and uh, we'll see you on the next show. Thanks very much. Bye. Credits! Written, produced, edited, and presented by Zoran Ilyevsky. Audio consultation and additional production, Archie Cuthbertson, Dan Moore. Credits announcer, Simon Winkler. Theme character voices, Zoran Ilyevsky. Audio excerpts of Senate Subcommittee on Juvenile Delinquency, Wortham vs. Gaines on Decency Standards, used courtesy of New York City Municipal Archives. You've been listening to Graphic Nature, the podcast.